Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, sometimes we may wake up on Good Friday morning and we wonder to ourselves, why do we refer to it as good? If you take time to read the gospel accounts of the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, and you consider what the Jewish authorities and the Roman soldiers and Pilate did to Jesus, it's definitely not good. In fact, it's horrific. He was unjustly arrested, judged, whipped, mocked, nailed to a cross, forsaken by his father, forsaken by his disciples, his friends. He died a terrible and horrific death. And we wonder if it would be better to call it Black Friday. And yet when we consider the results of Christ's death, especially in light of His resurrection, we recognize that for us who believe and us who are Christians, it is very good. Because we hear the final words of our Lord Jesus on the cross as He cries out, it is finished. And that means that Jesus has completed and finished the work that God has given Him to do to reconcile sinners like us unto Himself. And therefore, as we remember the death of Christ, we remember the cause of death, which is sin. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And what an amazing gift that is. Not only to make payment for sin, but to earn our righteousness, that perfect obedience that God requires of us since He has created us. And for us to have fellowship with God after the fall, then we need also a perfect obedience, a perfect righteousness. And this is one who came to suffer and become obedient unto death in order to restore us through His righteousness. And therefore we remember, don't we, thirdly, that love of God toward us, for we are undeserved sinners. And yet God is demonstrating that love to us this morning. That even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Can we even comprehend the depth of that love? And finally, as we commemorate this redemptive work of our Lord Jesus Christ and the freedom that it gives from the bondage of sin and death itself, how His love ought to compel us to bring that good news to everyone. Because of His single, perfect, satisfactory sacrifice. And to suggest that there's anything more to salvation than what Jesus has done is to deny the doctrine as we know it. Sola 
Christus, Christ alone. We don't add anything to his work because when we do, we preach another gospel and we can know for certain that God has accepted the very work of his Son through the cosmic events that have been revealed in the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. The three hours of darkness, the earth quaking, the graves being opened, saints raised, the temple veil rent, the very manner of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and the truth of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ confirms to us that Jesus' sacrifice is a perfect sacrifice. And I'd like to turn to Hebrews 10, which sets that before us so beautifully. Hebrews chapter 10. You can find it in your pew Bible on page 1380. Hebrews chapter 10. And I'd like to read in our hearing the first 18 verses, which will be our text. Hebrews chapter 10. Let us hear God's word. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For when would they have, when, for when would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, Sacrifice and offering, burnt, burnt offerings, and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering... He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, for after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and in their minds. I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Amen. May God bless His Word and also the exposition of it. 
as we consider this with the theme, Jesus' perfect sacrifice. And we'll see Jesus' perfect sacrifice, first of all, is sufficient for sin, secondly, sufficient for perfection, and thirdly, sufficient for forgiveness. Jesus' perfect sacrifice is sufficient for sin. Verse 1 we read, For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things. What we see there, and even that first word, that first phrase, for the law, And what does the law do? The Old Testament law, really, especially as it expanded on it and all the laws for sacrifice and all the laws for the duties of the priest and and so on, it exposed sin for what it was and what it is. This law was a shadow of good things to come. But first it needs to establish the reality of what sin is. Think about the very sight of all of these sacrifices in the Old Testament. The very sight of it as they're taking their lambs, their goats, and, and, and their bulls, and they're taking them to the priest to be offered. And, and as they're bleeding and bellowing, then we find there that they, the blood is running out of them and the life is running out of them. And there they're placed on the altar to be burnt up. Have you ever imagined such a sight and all of the sounds that went along with this and then the smells of the burnt offerings? How many of you ever singed cow hairs or something? We used to do that as on the farm. You'd, you'd take, the, take a little burner and burn their udders. And, and that, that smell of the burning of that hair would just about make you want to gag. Or to have bones burning and to have this flesh all burning and the smells of it, the sight of it, the sounds of it, the smells of it. It's a horrific nature. And it reminded them of the fact of sin and the reality of sin. The very reality of the fall knowing that the consequence of sin is death. Because sin is a terrible offensiveness to God. And God cannot dwell in the midst of sin and in the midst of sinners who are defiled. There can be no fellowship, no communion, no reconciliation unless sin is dealt with. And the consequence of sin is death. And there the sacrifices expose that again and again and again for the Old Testament Israelites. And yet these sacrifices expose not only the reality of sin, but also the reality that there's something more that's needed. Because this was just a shadow, a shadow of good things to come. Sometimes we think about the Old Testament and we think about all that happened in the Old Testament as, as bad and now in the New Testament it's all good. But that's, that's not necessarily true and that's not necessarily what the author to Hebrews is pointing out. The Old Covenant and the Old Testament, yes it was negative in the way it couldn't save anyone, 
But it was also very positive in that it pointed to the good and the final. It was a shadow in the Old Testament. And in the New, we have the real thing. I don't know, children, if you've ever walked around outside at night and you have the moon shining and, and you see, and maybe you're kind of scared, but as, you, as that light hits your dad, the shadow uh, is cast upon maybe the wall of a barn or something. And as you're walking around and, and, and you're kind of scared and, and you see the shadow of your dad and you, you know it's your dad. And are you going to flee and, and, and embrace the shadow that, that's up against the barn wall? No. You're going to go and run to your dad and say, Dad, I, I'm scared. Because you trust your dad can help you and protect you and care for you. So it is with the Lord Jesus Christ. In, in all of the Old Testament, it was shadows. It was as if the light was hitting on what would be to come and casting shadows in the Old Testament. They couldn't see it all clearly and perfectly, but they could believe that there's something that's real, that's coming. And they were too called to believe and to embrace what was to come. We today have it on the pages of Scripture, the reality of what has come, the good things that have come, that Christ has come to purchase and accomplish salvation through His life, through His death, and through His resurrection. Sin has been dealt with because of His perfect sacrifice. The Old Testament sacrifices were shadows. You don't want to cling to a shadow. You want to cling to the real thing. Jesus Christ and His perfect sacrifice. You can maybe even imagine that from an Israelite who was in Egypt. On that day before the angel of death was coming to strike down all the firstborn in Egypt, and they were called to put the blood on the doorpost of their houses. There they would put that blood on the doorpost, and God would pass over, and he would hold his judgment and his wrath upon that particular family. Now, just because you had blood on the doorpost, the blood of this lamb, didn't mean that you were necessarily right with God. Yes, God passed over you in way of judgment for a time. And yet, each person, each Israelite, had to come face to face with God in their death. And they needed to look past that blood that was on the doorposts of their houses to the one who would come and who would shed his blood for their sins. They needed to believe in God, not in the blood, but in God. The shadow was to point them to the ultimate and real perfect sacrifice. But we also recognize that not only is this a shadow, it was very weak. Notice that. Verse 1, it makes it almost very clear that this shadow... Uh, it's not the real thing and could never become the real thing. As we find there, it could never, with these same sacrifices, it could never satisfy God because they needed to continually be offered year by year. And it couldn't even make them perfect. It was weak. 
And verses 2 through 4 support that very truth. And he said, otherwise, they would have ceased from being offered. They would have been offered once, and then they, they, they wouldn't need to be offered again because all the worshipers would be purified. But the problem is that's not true because now there's this consciousness of sin even after all of these sacrifices. I think of uh, maybe some teenagers among us, maybe your parents say, go away for, 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 for a few days and... And they're, they're coming home, and, and um, before they left, they told you, you, you can't have any friends over. You can't, you can't have a party or anything like that. And uh, you, you went and did it anyway. You had several friends over, and you thought, oh, I hope my parents don't come out. With, oh. and, and the day that they come home, you, you go about the house doing all kinds of extra house duties. You, you clean everything up. You, you even go above and beyond what your parents have even asked you to do for them while they were gone. And then you make a nice meal for them so that they, when they come home, they they got a clean home and a, a wonderful meal set before them. Did that take any of the guilt away from your, what you've just done? No, your heart is still beating hard when they come in the door and you feel guilty and you're like, oh, I hope they don't find out and I hope they're happy with all that I've done. But you still feel guilty. And they ask, how, how did things go? And they're prying and, and you're feeling more and more guilty. And, and finally, you just have to tell them. Because you can't take it any longer. Because all that you've done, all the sacrifices you made that day, didn't take the guilt away. And so it is for a Christian especially these Hebrew Christians, all that they could have done in all of those sacrifices and all the rituals of their worship, it didn't take the guilt away from their sin. They needed someone to come to pay a final sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice for sin. As a matter of fact, continuing to make sacrifices in verse 3, he argues that this is actually a reminder of sin year after year, day after day, week after week, year after year. They are reminded of the reality of their sin and of their guilt because they are reminded, according to verse 4, that it is impossible, absolutely impossible for the blood of animals to wash away any of our sins. No, there's... Something more that's needed. They need a sacrifice that's perfect and final. And the answer is Jesus' sacrifice. Notice with me in verse 5. Therefore, that word therefore, it shows us the very answer, the very solution to the problem. Therefore, when He came into this world, He said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. You prepared me to be this sacrifice. I'm not just a shadow, but a very body. The real thing has come to make sacrifice. He's come to do the very will of God. And that's why he's taking us really to Psalm 40. He's showing us, no, He's not a shadow at all, but He's come in His body to do the will of God. 
That's what the author to Hebrews always does, doesn't he? He goes back to the Old Testament, realizing that this is the very Word of God. That, that Word of the One who was made flesh, Jesus Himself. He's the author of it all. And He takes Him to Psalm 40, saying, look here, He says, Behold, I have come to do Your will, O God. This is what's written of Me in the volumes of this book. And so he comes. And he comes to confirm that even in his ministry. How often doesn't the Lord Jesus Christ say, I come to do my Father's will. And he is the one who has sent me to do his will. To lay down my life as a sacrifice for sins. He knew his body was to be a sacrifice. To please God and to satisfy His wrath against all of the sins of His people. He paid for it. Through that body that was given to Him, He comes to do the will, to delight in the obedience that God has required of Him. Notice that in verse 8. He says, previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire nor had pleasure in them. But then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. That's what's satisfying to God. Someone who would come to do his will. Not a temporary sacrifice, not a temporary obedience, but a perfect and final sacrifice, becoming obedient even unto death. And that's what we find in verse 9 when he's basically telling us that this has established the new, the second testament. The second, second manifestation of what God wants of us in this life. Reflecting back on what Jesus has done. The Old Testament sacrificial system is completed. It's finished. He takes it away. He abolishes it. He abolishes that first. And He fulfills the second. The era of all of the lawish and legalist religiosity of this sacrificial system is over. It is finished. And that word conveys that this is good news for bulls and goats because they're not going to die. But it's even better news for you and for me who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Far better news because then we also will not die. Yes, we will die physically. And yet, we will live forever in the presence of God because of His perfect sacrifice. He's been given to confirm that a real human body to fully satisfy the justice of God. That's why he brings that up again in verse 10. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once for all. 
That body that he has been given and prepared, uh, that has been prepared for him, unites him to his brothers and sisters here in this world who live today in faith of such a son of God who is truly man and who truly satisfied the justice of God. Now, now, he is sanctifying him. They have been sanctified through, set apart in Jesus. And what he has done. When he was nailed to the cross for our sins, when he suffered our hell, when he cried out, My God, my God, why hast you forsaken why hast thou forsaken me? Then we too with him suffered all the reproaches of hell. And yet It's not the end of the story. Because he's saying it's once and for all. Now what does that once for all mean? Once for all, for sure in this context, means once and for all time. It's, it's never going to come to an end. The sacrifice of Jesus on behalf of all of his people is once for all time. And certainly, we know from all of Scripture, it's once and for all His people's sins. Every one of His people's sins. Notice verse 14. It's saying, all those who are being sanctified, it's once and for all. All of their sin. And all of His people. There's never going to come a time in eternity when God says, now, I'm not going to accept the sacrifice of Jesus any longer. And you're actually going to have to pay for your sin. It is finished means it is finished. And when we believe that our greatest problem has found its greatest solution in the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ, it never again needs to be repeated but it endures forever. But it's not only to deal with sin. It's sufficient for sin. But it's also, secondly, Jesus' perfect sacrifice is sufficient for perfection. In the first four verses, we see again, and we're reminded that all of the Old Testament sacrifices could never make anyone perfect. It had to be done continually and continually. And and it never came to any kind of perfection. And verses 5 through 10 give that solution for perfection. But then in verse 11, 11 through 14, the author to Hebrews is confirming that Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient for perfection. Because He perfectly satisfied the wrath of God and perfectly fulfilled the will of God. And notice how he makes this argument in verse 11 through 14. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, this man, Jesus Christ, who come to do the will of God, he has offered one sacrifice for sin forever sat down at the right hand of God from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. 
For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. What's, what's his argument? His argument is to the Jewish Christians. Is he says, do you want a sacrifice? Or do you want a high priest who makes sacrifice by standing and continually going about his business in the tabernacle or the temple? Or do you want a high priest who's made one final sacrifice and now sits because it is sufficient? That's at the heart of the matter. Do you want a priest who continually must do this? Who is powerless. Powerless to save. Because he could never do enough. And needs to do this repeatedly. Because these sacrifices could never take away sins. And they would stand because it's never completed. Their work is never enough. There's always more work to do. You know when your parents give you something to do and they see you sitting in the chair, they know you're not getting your work done. And they tell you to get up, get busy, get it done, and then you can sit. That's the argument in Hebrews here. The work has been done. The work is finished. And now... Jesus can sit as a high priest. Yes, He can even intercede based on that finished work. He sits. His work is complete. His work of doing the will of His heavenly Father and paying the price of our sins. He sits. Not powerlessly but with power. The priest had no power to cleanse anyone's sins. But this priest, he sits in power. And all of his enemies are being placed under his footstool. His feet is a place of power and authority. And he is putting it all under his authority, under his judgment. He is a priest who sits in power because of what he has done. It all comes through this final sacrifice. Verse 14. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. You can't improve on it. You can't make it better. He is the one who perfects believers forever. And it will never end. Jesus' perfect sacrifice is sufficient for perfection. But also thirdly, in our last point, Jesus' perfect sacrifice is sufficient for forgiveness. Those consciences of the Old Testament could never be purified. No, rather the sacrifices were a continual reminder of them and of their sins. And of their guilt. But notice verse 15. 
In verse 15, the Holy Spirit, God Himself, also witnessed to us for all after He had said before. And then it goes again to quote uh, Jeremiah 31, verse 31 through 34, which we looked at already in Hebrews 8, verses 8 through 12. But He goes on to quote these words. This is the covenant that I will make with them and those those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now why is he appealing here to Jeremiah 31 again? Well, for God to put those things in their hearts, he needs to have fellowship with them. And how can God have fellowship with sinful man unless unless sin has been dealt with and an offering has been made and a sacrifice has been truly accepted by our God. Because this is a heart that's been created to have fellowship with God, created to serve God. We saw that several weeks ago from Hebrews 8. But the importance here is that there must be forgiveness and reconciliation in order to have that re- relationship with God. Because our obedience to God's will even is really a result of, of, of His sovereign inscription of His law on our hearts and in our minds. And the forgiveness that we have received from God through faith and repentance. This all flows out of it. The Old Testament sacrifices could never accomplish that. A lot of times it led most people to just ritual worship of doing these these sacrifices. They could never accomplish it. But Jesus, through His perfect sacrifice, sends forth His Spirit and writes His law in our minds and in our hearts that we can have fellowship with God. But listen, there's even more. Not only is there forgiveness of sin that we might have fellowship with God, but God even forgets our sinfulness. Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Even though this was promised in the Old Testament, Micah 7, but, but even here in the New Testament. It is clearly set forth and clearly evident. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ blots out our sins forever so that God would remember our sins and our lawless deeds no more. They're cast into the sea of complete and utter forgetfulness. That's why he says in verse 18, now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. There's no longer a necessity for this continual offering. That's why he opens the veil into the Holy of Holies and we might have perfect access to God through the blood of of the Lord Jesus Christ through His final perfect sacrifice. He's accomplished everything necessary 
for forgiveness of sins. Because he's paid a perfect price. That's why as we celebrated the Lord's Supper a couple weeks ago, we didn't put up here a big altar where we offered a lamb or a ram or a bull. We didn't do that, did we? Because Jesus and his final sacrifice is what we witnessed in the pouring out of the wine as him pouring out his life. And the breaking of the bread as him being broken for our sins. And so the rituals of all other religions, even Christian sects of religions, such as the Roman Catholics, are an abomination to the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ. The religiosity of so many Christians of just going through all the proper motions and all the proper traditions is an offense to God because of Jesus' final perfect sacrifice and all the works we think we could present to God on behalf of ourselves are an offense to God because of Jesus' perfect sacrifice. All of those things in the Old Testament were just shadows. But the real thing has come. The good thing has come. The good news has come. Jesus Christ and His perfect sacrifice. And today we are called to receive this good news by faith. Because it's Good Friday. The guilt and the punishment of sin has all been dealt with. There is forgiveness with God that He might be feared. And we don't stand in awe of the sights and the sounds and the smells of Old Testament sacrifices. But we stand in awe of the One who suffered on the cross. Our Lord Jesus Christ. As He hung between heaven and hell and bore our hell for us. We stand in awe of His final payment for sin. A body He has been given. The real flesh of a man to fulfill the will of His Father in heaven. He has come to do His will and to do it perfectly. I trust we all want to be covered in His blood. His final sacrifice so that we would never have to bear the wrath of God as is evidenced on the cross of Calvary. We certainly want the blood on the doorposts in the Old Testament shadows. But to be covered in His righteousness is just as important. Maybe we can even go one step farther. If Jesus came to do His Father's will, He came to give His life. He came to be obedient even unto death in order to perfect us and to give us a new heart and to give us new desires. Ought that not to compel us to say, Lord, I come to do Your will. What would You have me to do? How would You have me to live? And you hear the answer already, don't you? Jesus has come 
Take up your cross and follow me. When we leave this place of worship, knowing and meditating on the finished work of Christ, ought it not to motivate us to deny ourselves, not to earn salvation, but out of gratitude for His perfect sacrifice. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we need Your grace. We need Your grace to see the sights of Calvary, to hear the sounds of Calvary. To smell the smells of Calvary. For there you have given a spotless lamb who you have given a human body to bear our sins. Lord, may we see the message that it sends to us to believe in Jesus as the only sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, the final sacrifice. Grant us grace, O Lord, by the power of Your Holy Spirit who gives us Your law in our minds and in our hearts that we would also seek to do Your will and that we would resolve to go forth from this place in Your service. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.